Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, February 16th, we are studying Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. In today's text, St. Paul interprets the account of Hagar and Sarah and their sons from the book of Genesis in order to show the Galatians that they are free and not slaves. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us a regular guest, Pastor Tim Stork. Pastor Stork serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks, Pastor Apple. It's always good to be with you. So, Pastor Stork, I've asked a couple of guests how, how high the Epistle of Galatians ranks on their list of favorites. Is is Galatians your favorite? Um, It, it ranks pretty high. I'm not sure if it if it is my my favorite i i do have to say that first and second timothy are probably for for go. obvious reasons there you go the pastoral i would have to say first and second pastors. timothy the pastoral epistles so yeah that's good that's good a, a previous guest mentioned that because luther holds it in so high regard it can be kind of intimidating for lutherans and i i think i i find myself there occasionally too luther speaks so highly of galatians that sometimes when i, I come to it and i I don't understand it as well as I think I should. I'm a little intimidated. And, and today's text is one of those where I have some difficulty. It's a, a challenging text, I think, because Paul is going to read the Old Testament in a way that perhaps we're not as used to. So looking forward to, to digging into this text with you, Pastor Stork. As, as we prepare to do so, give us the context. What do we need to know about this epistle to the Galatians and what Paul's been saying leading up to our text today? So as, as you mentioned the, the Epistle of the Galatians is probably one of Luther's favorites, if not most favorites, of, of Paul's letters. And, of course, Paul here is writing to a congregation that he is personally invested in. He had gone to Galatia. He had preached to the congregation. He had brought them the gospel, um, the, the free promise, the, the free grace of Jesus Christ. And after Paul leaves the congregation, um, it is not long that they become bewitched by some false preachers who come in and begin to lead the congregation astray. Um, they try to convince the congregation that what Paul had preached to them was only partially true, um, that they needed to have even more so than just the gospel, that Paul had left out the law especially the fact that um, the men within the congregation of Galatia also needed to be circumcised for their salvation. Um, and, and Paul, when he gets wind of this, um, when he finds out what's been going on, um, you know, Paul is rightly upset. Um, these are his people. These are folks that he has led to the gospel um, and so he, you know, you, you can you can read into the text, you know, Paul's concern, his love for them, but you can also see the anger that he has towards these false teachers that have appeared. 
Um, and, and so he he's afraid of of their salvation. Um, what's going to happen to them? And, and so Paul here again brings them back to understanding um, what it is to be saved by grace. And, and so right before our text um, here today, Paul again reminds them about his concern um, in particular. He, he reminds us early on in chapter four, he says, brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I've also become as you are. And the fact that he had actually been there with them um, and this blessing that he's given to them, you know, what has happened to you? Um, you know, I've given birth to you in the faith. Um, and so, again, we can see this concern that Paul has for them and this, you know, outpouring of love. Um, and so he wants them to know the truth of God's word and not to be led astray and then to be saved by grace. Yeah, the, the pastoral heart for the Galatians that Paul has has been evident throughout this epistle in different emotions. And I think that's important because, as, as you said, we've just heard him talk about his perplexity concerning them and certainly his, his concern for them. He said he's afraid that his labor has been in vain. He's talked about his great care and compassion for them as, as a mother gives birth to a child. So he has labored to for the Galatians to, to be birthed into Christ, to remain firm in that. As you said, we've seen some anger from him. So we've seen a variety of his emotions for the sake of the Galatians, all toward the goal of keeping them firm in this gospel, in this freedom that they have in Christ. And as we talked about in the previous text, Paul throughout has given them these opportunities to be listening to him and have an out to, to come back to the truth. Like, oh yeah, that, that is right, Paul. I do want to be free. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want mm -hmm. to, to lose the inheritance that I have in Christ. You're right, Paul. And I think we see a little bit of that in today's text as well, that Paul's giving them this opportunity to consider this text from Genesis in the way that he's going to present it to them, rather than the way that probably these adversaries, these Judaizers, had been presenting this same text in an opposite way of what Paul's giving us here. It's hard for us to know exactly what they were saying, but it does seem, based on what Paul says today, that he brings up this text because the opponents were using it against the truth of the gospel. And I'm sure we'll have some opportunity to discuss that as we uh, get into this text today. Any more introductory comments? Anything we need to, to know before we jump into this part of Galatians 4? No, I think I think we're good. Let's All go. All right, so we are... Go ahead. Sorry. We're no, good? go ahead. Okay, good. All <laughs> yep. right, fantastic. Just want to make sure I didn't interrupt you. So Galatians 4, verse 21 and following. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. 
Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That is our text for today, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Again, Pastor Stork, I find this to be one of the more challenging texts in this epistle as Paul interprets here Sarah and Hagar. He actually doesn't mention Sarah by name. He only mentions Hagar by name. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, an, a different way of looking at the Old Testament and interpreting it than, than I'm used to. And I think that even Paul elsewhere doesn't—it's it's just a different way of speaking about this section of Genesis than he has in, in other places. So it's very intriguing to me. And obviously, he's right. He's the inspired writer of— the New Testament here. And so he's, he's right in this interpretation, but I think mm-hmm. we've got some things to, to learn from Paul as he reads the Old Testament, and especially to get the point that he wants to drive home to the Galatians. So let's get started with verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? It sounds like he's maybe challenging them a little bit there to to reread the Old Testament. Yeah, I I, I think so. Tell me, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, um, do you do you not listen to the law? I, there's a couple things here, though, that are important for us to keep in mind, because that word law can be looked at in a couple of different ways. Um, one, of course, is the law that is heard, that is testified to us. Um, we hear the law every time we confess our sins in the, the divine service. We hear the law in the preaching um, during the sermon, the, the pastor preaches the law to us, um, and, and the law testifies to us um, that we are sinners and that we are in need of God's grace, that we cannot be saved by our own works. But then with the other side of that, um, and this is, I think, the way that Paul wants us to understand the law here, is it's not so much the law that testifies and and points out to us our our sinfulness, but that this is um, a a law that enslaves. It's a law that is a legal demand. Um, And so in this context, it's not just pointing out that we're sinners and that we need to, to repent of our sin, but that there are specific things that we have to do to be saved. And within the context of the Galatians, the the big one, of course, is circumcision. That if you are not circumcised, even if you believe in Jesus, you will not be saved. Um, and so here is this legal demand that has been placed upon the congregation. Um, and and so he he reminds us again, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What is the law telling us? Yeah, and I think with that second use of the word law, where he says, do you not listen to it? I wonder if there might be even a little bit more broadly speaking, not only the commands, as in the first part, you know, you want to be under the law in the sense that you want to be saved by the law, particularly by doing things like circumcision, then are you not listening to the law? 
I wonder if that second usage of law might also be a, a little bit broader and include, generally speaking, the, the writings of Moses, which sometimes are referred to as the law generally, mm-hmm. since he goes on to, to talk about Genesis and a place where circumcision is in the context, but maybe isn't his mm-hmm. primary point. Yeah. I wonder if that second use is like, hey, if you want to live according to the law, then maybe you should listen more closely to the place where the law actually comes from these books of Moses. And let's do that together so that you can get the, the right interpretation here. Yeah. I, I think the other thing that's important here is, you know, is we talk about the law or he, you know, within the, the broader scope of, you know, the, the five books of Moses, um, the Torah, that, you know, the, the giving of the law, at least the Ten Commandments, doesn't happen until Exodus. So again, here is this, you know, understanding of, yes, there's the command of circumcision with Abraham. But at the same time, you know, this broader understanding of the law, none of that even shows up until you get to, you know, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Um, So again, what is, as you pointed out, you know, what are, what do, what does Paul want these, his people to hear? Um, you know, what is this understanding of the law that, that he wants them to, to grasp? Yeah, back in chapter three, he, he had made the point that when you have a, a covenant that's been ratified, it, it's not nullified later. And so the, the promise, you know, again, to use the language that he uses in Galatians three and comes up here too, the promise mm-hmm made to Abraham isn't nullified by that law given 430 years later at Sinai. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's returning now to that account of Abraham, coming at it from a different angle. And again, I think it, it seems that there's some opposing interpretations from the Judaizers in the background, which is perhaps why Paul goes to this text. Because if I, if I think about the sermon that I want to preach when it comes to where am I going to go in the Old Testament to show that we live under the gospel and not under the law. I'm probably not going to go to Ishmael. I don't think that's going to come up. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> now, granted, Paul the Apostle is much smarter than me and knows the Old Testament much better than me. But it, it does seem, based on the way that he writes here, that that maybe the the rivals have been using this account in a different way that Paul then wants to make sure the Galatians get it correctly as, as he's going to interpret it here. I don't know if you, you didn't need looking into the, to some of the possibilities as to what the Judaizers might've been doing with the, the account of Ishmael and Isaac and, and twisting it in some false ways or not. A little bit, but, but not a, not a ton. Tell me, tell me what you, tell me what you found. I, I, there's a note in the Lutheran study Bible that I think is, is helpful. I'm, I'm curious what you, what, what did you see that, that, uh, that has the potentials for what the rivals were saying about this account from Genesis? Yeah, well, just the the fact that, um, and I'm trying to find my other note that I had here, um, just the fact that, um, I can't find my note here, Pastor, so help that's me okay. out. <laughs> well, that's fine, yeah, so here's what the, the Lutheran Study Bible suggests, and, and looking at the commentary written by uh, Dr. Doss in the Concordia Commentary series, he, he talks a little bit about this too, just to, to try to keep it simple. The mm-hmm. Lutheran Study Bible suggests that the false teachers were likely arguing that the uncircumcised Gentiles corresponded to Ishmael and were illegitimate sons, not true descendants of Abraham. So, so perhaps what's going on there in Galatia 
in Paul's absence is that these Judaizers are telling the Galatians, look, again, Paul got you a good start, but if you really want to be true children of Abraham, you need to go ahead and be circumcised. You need to find your place with with Isaac, because right now you're just stuck there with Ishmael. And, and so perhaps that's in the background, or something like that is in the background, that leads Paul to pick up this text and interpret it the way that he does to show the Galatians, no, this account is not preaching salvation by the law or salvation by circumcision. Rather, it too is, is preaching salvation by grace alone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So with, with those things in <laughs> mind, that there's probably a rival interpretation of this text by the Judaizers, let's take a look at what Paul does with it. So okay. verse 22, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now, perhaps before we dig into this precise details that Paul points out, it'd be good to just do a, a basic refresher of what's there in the Old Testament. We've been using names, Ishmael, Hagar, Sarah, Isaac, Abraham. Give us the general contours of the way the narrative progresses and, and the, the basic narrative that Paul's got in mind here that he's going to discuss. Okay. So going back to, to Genesis, we remember God has called Abraham by grace, um, that he has promised that he will be the father of many nations. Um, the context, of course, is the fact that Abraham and Sarah are barren, that they are both older beyond childbearing years, but at the same time, Sarai is Sarai's barren. She is unable to even have children. Um, but God here promises again, Abraham, you and Sarai are going to have children. You're going to have heirs. Um, and of course, Sarai is thinking that there's no way that this can happen um, in, in a purely physical way. And so Sarai actually gives her servant, her, her Egyptian servant, Hagar, over to Abram, her husband, and says, here, you know, have my servant. Um, in Genesis 16, Sarai says to Abram, behold, now the Lord's present prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it be that I shall obtain children by her. And so Abram did what his wife wanted. Um, and after Abram had lived 10 years um, in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Um, she has a, a child, um, Ishmael. Um, and then, of course, later on, God does come back to Abram and Sarai and says, you know, you're going to have a child. Um, and, and it happens that the miraculous, the miraculous does occur. Um, and of course, then at that point in time, Sarai becomes um, angry with Hagar. Um, you know, here now she has the servant and this son um, between Hagar and Abram. Um, she demands that Abram sends Hagar and Ishmael away, um, apparently because also Ishmael has been um, causing some problems with their son, uh, with Isaac. And so eventually Abram sends them away. Um, and God, of course, takes care of Hagar and Ishmael. Um, and yet then Sarah and Isaac and, and Abram, and of course we know what ends up happening there, um, but through them, God does bless, uh, bless many, many generations. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. So there's there's the basic background. And again, the Judaizers are doing something to the effect of telling the Galatians, you guys belong with Ishmael right now. You you've been you're a part of the the slave woman. You are being cast out, and the way back into the family is by following the law, by being circumcised, by doing all the things that Moses wrote down to do. That's the way you're going to get back into the family, because right now you're not a legitimate child. You're there with Ishmael, but if you want to be like Isaac, Paul got you a good start, but here's how you finish the journey. Something something like that. Something along those lines. Is in the background. And so Paul, Paul brings this up to give the Galatians the truth that... And just to maybe if I just to try to put it simply, if you want to be among the free children, then actually you need to be with Isaac. And 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 the way to do that is by living in the promise, not by living in the law. If you're going to live in the law, that's what's going to make you a child of the slave. And that's what's going to put you in slavery. If you want to be with Isaac, you need to be a child of the promise. You live according to the gospel. That's that's essentially the argument that he's going to make, is to live under law, is to be a slave along with Ishmael. To live according to promise and gospel is to be a true free son there with Isaac. And so that's how, I mean, the basic contours are, are there. So we get to look at some of the details. And this is where things, again, <laughs> this is probably not the text that I would have, have chosen, but Paul knows what he's doing here. So let, <laughs> let's see what he's up to. So verse 22, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. There we have Ishmael born to Hagar, and we have Isaac born to Sarah. Verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So uh, take us both of those verses. He's kind of laying out this story. What details do we need to see there as Paul starts to describe it for the Galatians? Yeah, so um, the the son of the promise, let, let's start there, and then we'll will go back. So, of course, the son of the promise um, reminds us of the promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai originally, that they would have children of their own flesh, that they would um, that they would have a child from a miraculous way, and it is a part of God's promise that this would happen. Um, and so here, here it is that this, this son of the woman was born through the promise that God gave to Abram originally. And then on the other side of that, of course, is the son born of the slave was born according to the flesh. He was not the one promised by God. The one born of the slave is the one that Sarah or Sarai at that point in time decided that, you know, we're going to do this my way instead of following after the promise of God. And so I'm going to, instead of trusting in God's promise, instead of trusting in his word, I'm going to step in and do what I believe is right. And so Ishmael is born of the flesh. Um, and so it means nothing more then um, it, it means nothing more than the fact that 
Sarai and Abram didn't trust God and instead took things into their own hands, where the son of the promise is the one that God has given that he promised um, to give to Abram and Sarai originally. Yeah. And I think in that sense, then, you do start to already see how Paul takes this and why it does end up being a, a very fitting way of, of speaking about what's going on there in Galatia. So the, the account in Genesis of the way Ishmael is born is, as you said, Sarai and Abram taking matters into their own hands, telling God, your way of doing this by promising us a child when there's no hope at all for us to do this, that way's no good. We're going to do it ourselves, and, and here's our plan. And, and in that, there ends up being slavery. And, and slavery not simply in the sense, or really even not even primarily in the sense that Hagar is a slave of theirs, mm-hmm. but rather slavery to trying to do things their way. Whereas Isaac then comes completely on the action of God. Abraham and Sarah, they are too old to have kids. Sarah is still barren at this point, and yet God, in a miracle, brings this couple a child, Isaac. It's entirely his doing. And so you, you do see there, which, which way does God desire to do things? Not, when, not in the way that you make it up yourself and you accomplish it. Mm-hmm. God desires to do things according to his promise, his power, his might, his gift to us as recipients. And, and really, you can see that throughout the Old Testament and the New but this example of, of Isaac being born in that way is a great example of that, and it does stand in contrast to the way people messed it up in trying to take matters into their own hands and do it themselves. Yeah, and of course, that's that's the really the whole point here in Galatians is the fact that you know these Judaizers who have come in who have begun to bewitch the congregation are are telling them, you know what Paul told you about being saved by grace really isn't what, how you are supposed to do it. You are supposed to take matters into your own hands, just like Abraham and, you know, Sarah did. They took matters into their own hands. And, you know, in the end, look, look where it ended up for them um, and, and everything. But, but yeah, the fact is Paul wants them to know that like, Sarah and Abraham, you're saved by the promise. It is all of God's doing. It's all of God's work. Yeah, so let's that's the basic contours again. So let's we're gonna pick up more details of this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Tim Stork about Galatians 4 this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, February 16th. We are studying Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31 with Pastor Tim Stork. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, prior to the break, we talked about the basic contours of the account in Genesis where Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. He is a child of the flesh because that was Abraham, Sarah, taking matters into their own hands. We've got Isaac as the child of the promise, God's work alone to bring him about. Paul has laid that story out for the Galatians in summary, put it into their minds. And then in verse 24, he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. And as I was saying earlier, this is one of the more difficult texts, I think, in Galatians. It's because of that phrase, for me at least, that this matter of interpreting it allegorically how do we understand that? That's an uncomfortable way of speaking for us today. So let's talk a little about what Paul means there and what he doesn't mean when he talks about interpreting this text allegorically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think what Paul does mean here as we, as we look at this text, um, he is using Hagar and Sarai, and Ishmael, and and Isaac as a way for us to um, understand this, the, the text between being saved by grace and being saved by the law. Um, so he takes these these figures from the Old Testament, from, from the opening chapters of Genesis, um, and he uses them to try and help us to understand the difference between, again, being saved by grace and being saved by the law, being saved by by the works. And and as you mentioned earlier, Pastor Apple, you know, there are probably, for, for you and I, there are probably other texts in the Old Testament that we would probably prefer to preach on, or at least would, you know, find ourselves preaching on more so than, than a text like this. Um, but Paul is, you know, um, Paul has been called by God um, to write these words to, to the Galatian church. And, and of course the, um, you know, the Christian church for all times. Um, and, and so even though we may not necessarily be comfortable preaching a text like this or, or going back to the Old Testament and using a text like this, um, you know, we know that Paul's word is inspired, um, that it's given to us to help us better understand what he is trying to, again, get the Galatian church along with the Christian church today to understand. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we have to be careful, of course, not to read too deeply into the, the text from Genesis, um, because, of course, the more you do that, sometimes you end up finding yourselves being led astray, or you go down a different road than Paul is not trying to lead us down. And 
And again, I think some of that may have also been happening, you know, as you mentioned before, with the um, with the circumcision party, is that they may have been using this text in a way that, you know, ultimately is not the way it should have been used. Um, and so we do need to be careful in how we interpret texts allegorically or um, in other ways. Sure. And I, I think when I, you know, so there's what Paul is doing, interpreting this allegorically, is making use of this to make the same point that he's been making throughout this epistle, that God does not save us through the works of the law, rather he saves us through the gospel. And so he he makes the point from these various pieces of the Genesis account to tie them into other doctrines that he's already taught and the rest of the scriptures teach. So he's he's doing that and he's doing it correctly here. But when I at least in my mind when I think about what's he not doing, a couple of errors that we need to avoid. There's there's two that come to my mind. One would be he's he's not suggesting by interpreting this allegorically. He's not suggesting that the account in Genesis is not real or is or is only a parable that's told to make a point. He assumes the historicity of Abraham and Sarah of Isaac, of Hagar, of Ishmael. These are real people. Real things are written there in Genesis. It's, it's actual history. So that's, that's mm-hmm. one thing he's not suggesting by interpreting interpreting allegory. He's not suggesting that it's it's fiction. That, that's mm-hmm. one, I think, error that we should avoid and make sure that's something Paul's not doing. The other mm-hmm. thing I think that it's important for us to say is he's not just making this up either. He's he's not just picking a story and making whatever point he already wants to make. Okay, so when it comes to interpreting the Old Testament, particularly, we want to be careful so that we don't read into the text things that we want to find there, but rather we read out of the text the doctrine that God has taught there. And I Paul is doing the latter here. He mm-hmm. is reading out of the text the doctrine that God teaches. He's not reading into the text what he wants to find. That's what the Judaizers are doing. And that may be a danger for some today is to, to kind of pick, especially Old Testament texts, I think is where mm-hmm. it's most often that it happens. And we read it and we don't know what to do with it. Maybe we haven't listened to what Jesus said about the whole Old Testament being about him and testifying mm-hmm. to his death and resurrection. And so we're not sure what to do with it. So we try to make like a moral lesson or something out of it. Yeah, That would be the wrong use of this kind of allegorical interpretation, and it's not what Paul's doing. So those are the the two dangers I think we want to just kind of keep in the back of our minds as we read what Paul does correctly so that we watch out for potential abuses that might exist among some. And the Judaizers would be a good example, at least of the latter of those abuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on allegorical interpretation as Paul brings it up, Pastor Stork, or any, any response to... to clarify anything I said? <laughs> no, I, you know, I think it's, um, I, both of those are, are extremely important. You know, it, it's easy for us, especially, you know, how many thousands of years were moved from the events in Galatia or especially the events in the old Testament. And, you know, one of the things that sometimes comes up in Bible studies and elsewhere, you know, is, did these things really happen or did somebody sit down and, you know, just come up with these stories? And, you know, I'm always um, reminded of, you know, how Jesus uses these things in 
the Gospels, you know, when Jesus mentions Jonah, for example, and of course, a lot of people, when they think about Jonah, it's like, oh, that's, you know, that's just a, a great little story that tell, teaches us certain things. And it's like, but when Jesus brings up Jonah in the Gospels, nobody argues with him right. on whether it's historical or not. They all believe that the account of Jonah actually took place. And so again, here, I, you know, this understanding with Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael and Abraham, there is no argument, you know, Paul's not having to argue whether these texts are actually based on historical events or not. Um, it is true that the, the Judaizers believe it. Paul believes it. The Galatians believe it. And, you know, as, as do we as, as Christians, we know that these are historical events. Um, and again, I think that's one of the struggles for me as a pastor is, you know, there is that temptation to take a text, especially again from the Old Testament, and to try and force it to say what I want it to say. It's like, well, let me find a text that that preaches on a particular thing, and I'm going to, you know, take that square teaching and try and shove it into a round hole and force it to say something um where again paul's not doing that here he he's using a text that fits perfectly with with the intent that he has yeah that's right yeah one one that's been misused by the opponents to preach a religion of the law rather than the religion of the gospel paul's going to use rightly to preach the religion of the gospel because that's what that actually teaches and again although it may not be the first one we think one of the beauties of, of reading the scriptures is that it shows us, well, you didn't think this text was about that. It actually was. So wake up, uh, read it right, learn to believe what's there. And that's that's one of the, the beauties of this text is to, to have our eyes open to see how the account of Hagar, Ishmael, Sarah, Isaac, all that proclaims Christ crucified as our hope of salvation, that salvation is found in the gospel. So let's take a look at some of the details that Paul lays out for us. So he he really does get into this matter of allegory here as he starts to assign uh, one side of the story is this, the other side is that, and you start to see a lot of these contrasts. So we'll, we'll start working our way through these verses. He says, okay. the two women, they're two covenants. One's from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, or she is in slavery with her children. So there's there's one one half of the the account. We've got Hagar, Sinai, Arabia, present Jerusalem. Take us into some of those details on that side. Yeah. So after um, so having us understand these two covenants, um, one is from Mount Sinai. Um, and of course, you know, as he begins to to talk about this. Um, we know that Arabia was the land of Hagar's descendants um, through Ishmael. Um, we know that Hagar ends up going south to Beersheba, um, and Ishmael lives in the area near Sinai. Um, and so here, as you know, Paul starts to use this, he says one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. Um, and he's not, again, just talking about um, the mountain, Mount Sinai, 
ultimately he is talking about you know what took place on mount sinai um and so he makes this connection that sinai is having to deal with um with the law um with the 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 circumcision and and these works that are being demanded of of the galatians um that if they didn't keep this you know specific law or do these specific things um or live this specific way that they would they would not be slave they would actually be enslaved um and so then he goes on and and he makes the the other connection well he actually she he goes on to say well she corresponds to the present jerusalem which again the judaizers are probably all of a sudden they're they've probably become floored when they heard this because they're thinking well present day jerusalem well that's where salvation comes from from their perspective um you know how could you say that a person is enslaved if they come from jerusalem it, it makes no sense for them um, because they would say, well, coming from Jerusalem, at least present day Jerusalem, you must be a, a part of Abraham's covenant. You must be a part of Abraham's people. Um, but Paul here says, no, the corresponds, this Mount Sinai corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. They're not saved by grace. They, they've been, become enslaved by the law. Um, and, and so it reminds us as well of what our Lord um, reminds so many of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who come to them, who, again, remind Jesus, well, you know, we're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. I mean, how many times do we hear that in the Gospels from them? Where, where they remind us, you know, we, and it, again, there's a historical context to that. It's like, how many times have you been enslaved throughout the Old Testament? And you seem to have forgotten that. And of course, Jesus oftentimes reminds them, I can raise up children of Abraham from the very stones. Yeah, um, I, I think you're, I think you're right, Pastor Stork. Just to, to point out the particular shocking nature of bringing in present Jerusalem as a part of this side of things, that that Hagar, Mount Sinai, the law, being there with present Jerusalem. Wait a second. The, you're talking about, like, you mean the, the temple and the sacrifices and all of those outward mm -hmm. things that are a part of the Old Testament ceremonials law? That That is on the side of slavery? That Sinai, the place where we look to, Moses went there. That's on the side of slavery. I think that's the, that is the surprising, shocking move that Paul makes here as he interprets this allegorically, to put those things on the side of, you have been trying to do things your way, rather than trying to listen to the promise and believe the promise, rather than simply giving, receiving what God has given. This all is you trying to earn your own salvation siding with Sinai, with the present Jerusalem, with, with the sacrifices that are still happening there, right? It's not that if you're from Jerusalem, that's somehow bad. We know there's Christians mm -hmm. in Jerusalem, yeah. right? Paul's talked about some of the Christians in Jerusalem previously in this epistle, but those things that happen there in Jerusalem that uphold the old covenant, Paul says, all that is part of the way of slavery. Now, uh, he's going then to draw contrast to all these. So as opposed to 
uh, Mount Sinai, or well, let's start with Jerusalem. As opposed to the present Jerusalem, we've got the Jerusalem above. She is our mother. Uh, we're also going to have Isaac. We're going to have the children of the promise. We're going to get a bunch of contrasts. But in the middle of that, Paul's going to offer us a quotation from Isaiah. Take us into that that Isaiah quotation and how that plays into this one, you know, slave, free, uh, promise, flesh, those, those contrasts. How does the Isaiah quote f- factor in? Yeah. So right before the Isaiah quote, he, he reminds us the, the Jerusalem above is free and she is, she is our mother. So what other Jerusalem could there, could there be, um, you know, who, who else are we talking about here? Well, in comparison to the Jerusalem in, you know, in Israel, um, that brings the law, um, the Jerusalem that he speaks of is the one that is to come, the 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 one um, in Christ's presence um, that John talks about in Revelation, um, but the the new Jerusalem, um, which, which is God's church, the the Jerusalem above is free. That's where those who um, have been brought out of the desolation um, of this world. Um, who've been brought out of the desolation of the law by grace um, can now find their home. Um, for she is our mother. She, she's, the, she's the church. So he uses this text here from Isaiah um, when Isaiah is writing about um, the uh, writing about the um, the desolation and, of course, the the children of Israel being in Babylon during the captivity. And he says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of whom, of those of the one who has a husband. And, and so here we have... You know, the, the children of Israel who have been enslaved, um, they've been put in bondage, and, and the, the barren one, th- there is nothing to rejoice over. But Isaiah goes on, he says, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. So this is kind of, and again, tying this text all back together with Sarah and Abraham. I mean, Sarah had nothing to rejoice over in her barrenness. That, that is true. But God gave her a promise, as he did also to her husband, Abraham. You're going to have children. Rejoice in that. And, and God's promise again to his people through Isaiah. The, the, the people will be saved. Um, rejoice. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, because you're going to have your own children. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Yeah. Um, how, how amazing is that? Um, yeah. and, and so again, he, he likens this, um, in verse 28, he says, now you brothers, and I love this because even as the congregation in Galatia has been struggling with these Judaizers, um, and, and these, you know, false teachers that have arisen within the congregation, and though some of the, the members of this congregation may also be struggling with these false teachings, 
Paul still considers them brothers. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. You've been saved by grace. You, you've, you, know, you have come because of God's promise, not because of any works that you have done on your own. Yeah, I think that the language of brothers is intentional here, as it was in the previous text when he's been talking about Jesus being the Son of God, and so we are adopted as sons of God in him. He's been talking about this image of, of giving birth, even going back into the previous text where he talks about his own anguish of childbirth, now to be born of, as children of the promise. Hey, you're brothers. You're with me in this, guys. You you belong on, on the side of the children of promise. You are brothers along with me. And again, it's one of those opportunities where Paul gives them that out to say, yes, we are. We are not children of the slave. We're not brothers with the Judaizers who want to enslave us. We are brothers with you, Paul, you who want to see us in the freedom that is ours in the gospel. Because in a, in, to go to that Isaiah quote, as you said, it connects so well with the account of, of Sarah and what God does giving birth or giving the birth of Isaac to her and to Abraham. I think it also connects very well to the Galatians. You know, who, who are we apart from Christ? We're nothing. Mm-hmm. We're barren. We have nothing to bring to the table. But God gives to us everything in that barrenness of our sin in the gospel. He sets us free so that in our barrenness, we end up having more than those who are trying to claim that they they have something of their own. Those who want to be saved by the law, they end up having nothing. Those who allow God to save them through the gospel, who simply believe the promise that he freely gives, we end up having everything. And so it's it's beautiful how these texts continue to, to mesh together. And now as, as Paul then has... You know, made his case to the Galatians, hey, you're brothers with me as children of the promise because we belong to Jesus. Well, so so now then what about these Judaizers who are coming in and tormenting you? And and that's really where Paul kind of brings this this part of the text to conclusion as he says, hey, remember how Ishmael persecuted Isaac? That's what's happening to you in this false teaching. And so watch out for that false teaching. Get rid of it. That's what needs to happen to that false teaching that would enslave you. Take us into the verses 29 and 30 here. Yeah. So, but just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. And so also it is now. Um, back in Genesis 21, um, we, we see Sarah who saw Hagar's son laughing um, and and mocking Isaac. Um, and, you know, it could also mean that, um, you know, he was making fun of or, or you know, scorning Isaac. And, of course, like a, a, like a mother, she does not love her. She does not want her children to, you know, be scorned or to be made fun of. Um, um, to have them laughed at. And so, you know, Sarah reacts harshly to, to what happens, um, as some of the rabbis would, would tell us later on. Um, and, you know, the, the fact is here. So just as that he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Um, you know, these same things are happening amongst you um, that... You know the, these these preachers here, um, you know, are are persecuting you by bringing the law to you. Um, 
that, you know, you can't be saved by grace. You have to be saved by, you know, your works. But what does the scripture say? Verse, verse 30, cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Um, and so Paul, again, he goes back to, to Genesis 21. Um, and he, again, changes things just a little bit. Um, he doesn't say will not inherit, but will by no means inherit um, those things. Um, and, and so again, Paul reminds us here that the ones who inherit are are the ones who have been made who have been made sons of the promise, um, because being sons of the of the slave um, means no inheritance. Means you're actually working for it when you really get down to it. It's not an inheritance. Um, it's, it's something that you've worked for, um, and yet we have worked for none of these things. God is the one who has poured out His grace. Um, upon Sarah and Abraham and, and ultimately Isaac as, as well. Pastor Stork, with about a minute left, give us the last verse of the text, help us to wrap things up on this wonderful text from Galatians 4. Yeah. So, brothers, there it is again. There's that loving language. Um, so in the midst of all of this, Paul says, brothers, brothers, sisters, we are not children of the slave we are children of a different woman we are children of the free woman um, we have been saved by grace um, not only are we the real children of abraham who follow in his steps who follow in his line who have faith in the god who can bring life from the dead who can save sinners um, by his grace but not only that, we are also children of God. Um, that God has called us by name and made us his. And all through the work of our brother Jesus in his death and resurrection. And then uniting us to his family in the waters of holy baptism. All done without our works, only by his grace. Pastor Tim Stork serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. He's been helping us today to study Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Pastor Stork, thanks for being our guest today. No problem. It's always great to be with you, Pastor Apple. St. Paul opens our eyes to read the Old Testament as God would have us, to see in it the gospel, that we are not children of slavery, not those who have won our own salvation by our own works, by our own devised plans, but rather we are those who have received salvation completely by God's grace and power worked in Jesus Christ, remain as children who are free in Jesus. I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Galatians 4, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.
Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.